So on Friday, we had an encounter night, and we had a man all the way from New Zealand named Kristen Williams. And this was fun for me. Charlie was contacted by Leslie Leland uh, of Precious Daughters, who we partner with a lot in this house. And she said, hey, I have this guy, a relationship with this guy. He's going to be in town. He's available for a Friday. Do you want to do something and have him come and share a word with, with, with you guys? And, and Charlie's like, I'm going to be in Mexico. Talk to Miko. And so she texted me, and then Charlie told me, and I said, yeah, sounds fine. And I've never heard of this guy. I've never listened to this guy. Never read any book that he might have written. I don't know him from Adam, but I know Leslie. And so I said, you know, I trust you, Leslie, so I'm going to trust this person that you have a relationship with, and let's invite him. So we had an encounter night Friday. How many of you guys were there? Yeah. Was it good? Yeah. yeah. I really enjoyed that guy. I, I really did. I, my one complaint was he kept on talking about Gary's voice, and so I corrected him. I said, you were listening, you were hearing me. That was the only complaint I had. I said, you know, but every time you blessed Gary, I understood it was for me, so I claimed it. Uh, but it, one of the things I liked about it is the things he was sharing. How many of you guys that were here were like, hey, I've heard this before. Hey, we've been talking about this. And I, just, I was so cool, and I was able to share with him, man, we've been talking about this for like three months. We've been talking about this. And he goes, oh, that's great to hear. That's confirmation for you and what you're hearing, and it's confirmation for me and what I'm hearing. That's really cool. And so I encourage you, if you guys didn't hear him, his message will be up on our website um, later this week. So I do encourage you to go to the website and listen to it. He had a word for this house um, that is pretty exciting and just goes in line with everything we're seeing and feeling and we're believing for. And he's a stranger, didn't know us. First time in our building, first time hearing about us. And when he's sharing, he's sharing the same things that we've all been hearing and we've been sharing with you. So very exciting. Um, my message kind of goes in line with what we've all been talking about and what we're kind of expecting and looking for and excited for. Uh, Kristen Williams, he saw a wave. And, and he said, Has, have you guys been hearing about this wave? <laughs> and Robert verbally poked me in the back and was like, I think we've been hearing about this wave. And I said, yeah. He was talking about this move and a move. And, and I, I agree with him that a move of God is coming. We've been talking about this. And he brought up something really wonderful. He goes, it, the, the, when God moves, it's typically not when the church is on fire and excited and amazingly spiritually healthy. In fact, typically, if you look at the his history of when he moves, it's when the church or society at, as a whole seems to be at a spiritual low point, he comes and he moves. And so if you look at those kind of factors and you look at what you've seen in the church, you, see, you look at what's going on in the world, it makes sense that we're, be, we're getting ripe for a move. And I agreed with him there. And he also brought a warning of sorts, something that Alyssa shared on with her sermon about healing between generations. And we've been sharing through various means when we talk about love and we're sharing about love. He, he shared a warning. He said the people that tend to uh, oppose in the church, the people that tend to oppose a fresh move of God, and I'm putting this in my own words, are the disciples of the previous move. And he goes, we have to be careful that we don't do that, that if we say we want God to move, then we have to be okay with however he moves. 
we have to be flexible and say, okay, you're going to move on those people. I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to say yes to that. Oh, you're going to move in this way? I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to say yes to that. Because it, what happens is a lot of the time the disciples of the old move are the ones that are opposing the new move. You know, I, I've seen it actually several times in my short history. And when you look at the history of the church, there are, I remember when 95 and Toronto and, and that, you know, the, what, what, you know, the charismatic stream terms the renewal and renewal happened. And I remember there was these movements that was honestly the, 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 the beginnings of renewal. Because when you look at the church, when you look at the denominations and, and the churches that were kind of first hit with the thing that we call the renewal, if you look at them, they were all vineyard churches. A good chunk of them were vineyard churches. Some of the churches that we think of now, they were Assemblies of God churches. And there were many others, but the ones that we can think of now, and it was really interesting, those are the denominations that kind of opposed the new move. They were like, I don't know about this. And it's like, it's because they had a move previous. The vineyard started, the vineyard started before John Wimber, but when John Wimber got to vineyard, it really grew, and part of that was because he was about evangelism and he was about healing. And so vineyard has this, this rich, deep vein of evangelism and healing. And then the, the Toronto Blessing happened, and you got all these other churches, and you got some new kind of movements of healing, and the vineyard kind of opposed them. I saw it personally. I saw it play out in Portland and in Oregon. And it was so strange to me. Because I'm just like, well, if God's doing this thing, we, we should just move with what God's doing. Because I was young and naive. I'm getting less young and older and crustier, and I'm finding resistance when God does something new. I was complaining about Gen Z the other day, and my wife goes, Miko, that's the next generation. God's going to use them too. Get over yourself. And I said, oh, I was getting all hoity-toity. I'm a millennial. I'm the real generation God's going to use. God uses every generation, right? So I was finding it in me. So, so we have to be careful. So what I want to share about today I'm uh, going to be speaking primarily from Romans 14. I want to share about a, a broad category, probably what I will be sharing for the foreseeable future when you hear me speak, how to act like a family, okay? How families act. Because we're not just a church of people. We are a family, that we are sons and daughters of God, and we gather together, and we are brothers and sisters to each other right? And so we need to act like a family. We can't just act like individuals. We can't just act like a club. Us four and no more, and we do it our way. And if you want to do something different, you have to get out. We have to act like a family. And so I was reading, and I was reading Romans 14, and just things leapt out at me. And so we're just going to go through it. Because when God moves, there's excitement, and we're doing that on our own in this church. We're going through a transition just in this church, and it's fun, and it's exciting, but it's also change. And when that happens, disagreement can come in, frustration can come in, judgment can come in, offense can come in if we're not careful. And I think sometimes when God does something, 
when change happens naturally, those things can naturally come up. But we have to be careful that the enemy doesn't come in and tweak it and make it bigger. Because he'll come in and he'll just tap you. You know, they kind of change the music. Did you notice that? You don't really like how they change the music, did you? Or, hey, you know, his teaching style is a little different. You kind of miss the old guy, don't you? Sorry, Charlie, you're not an old guy. Um, you know, or, man, they changed the order of service. Or, hey, there's some more people coming, and I don't really, I don't know, they're kind of weird. Right? The enemy can come into those and kind of make them bigger issues. Our unity will be tested. It will be tried. And that was something that, that Kristen on Friday was talking about. He had shared, he shared about that God looks different to different people, that he moves in different ways. He's the same, but he expresses himself differently. And I just remembered something that I've said for a long time now. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. When we try and make everybody look and act the same, we're actually not engaging in unity. We actually become more divisive. We become more exclusive. And we reject people that can't conform or won't conform to what we feel like they need to be. So, Romans 14, starting at verse 1. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not to have quarrels over opinions. Let's just stop right there. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not to have quarrels over opinions. He just launches right into it. Some versions say instead of quarrels over opinions, they say fights over disputable matters. Now, this might shock you, but I have opinions. And I like having discussions over said opinions. Friday night, we got home, and it's late. And my sister-in-law and my nephew and my niece were watching our children. And I'm hungry. And I get in. And we sit down in the living room. And the, both kids are half asleep on their phones. Let's go home to their mother. And I start talking to Trees. And we just start having a conversation. And then she brings up a situation. And she gives her opinion. I have to give her my opinion. And then we start having this discussion and this engagement. And an hour later, she's like, I really got to get home. I like having discussions over opinions. It's how I strengthen my opinion. It's how I change my opinion. I, I really enjoy it. But I've learned, and it took time. It's called maturity. I learned that it's beneficial to have discussions, but it's never beneficial to have fights. So right off the bat, Paul is telling us that in a family, we should avoid fighting over opinions. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but don't have fights over opinions. Verse 2, one person has faith that he may eat all things, but the one who is weak eats only vegetables. Sorry, vegetarians. <laughs> I just, we, Alyssa had a friend over last night, and, and uh, she was telling her, Alyssa was telling the friend Tressa, who some of you know, about um, an author she likes, and she's vegan, and, and she wants to get her cookbook and all this stuff. I said, Alyssa, I have a Bible verse for you because I just read it. I said, the Bible says it. 
Sorry, vegetarians. The Bible says it. Let's stop right here and let me address something. First of all, he's not saying vegetarians are weak. But I want to address the language here because this can be offensive or controversial language. Because we're talking about in two verses at the beginning of the chapter, he's talking about weak Christians. And if he's talking about weak Christians, then, you know, there's strong Christians. And sometimes when we put labels like that, that can get offensive. So I want to explain Paul's concept of weak versus strong. You see, Paul was a Pharisee. He says he was a Pharisee among Pharisees. In fact, he went so far as to say that under the Mosaic law, he was righteous. That's how good of a Pharisee he was. He followed the law. He, he was so passionate about following the law that he persecuted this new sect of, of Judaism because they weren't following the law because how dare they claim that the Messiah came, right? That's how zealous he was for it. He calls himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. And then he got saved. He encountered Jesus. His life was changed in one instant at Damascus Road. And he started preaching a new gospel. He started preaching freedom from the law. And he started saying there is a law of grace. And we've talked about this. We've talked about this specifically when we talked about sin. Remember I was talking about Christians don't have a sin problem because we've been freed from sin. Christians have a temptation problem. Because we're still challenged by the lusts of our flesh. That's not sin. That's the temptation because God took care of the, t the sin. Right? Mom's saying I'm focusing on this group too much. Don't worry. I'm not. I'm not doing that pastor thing where I'm avoiding the group that really needs it. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just moving. I'm just moving. So Paul has this revelation, and so when Paul talks about weaker Christians versus stronger Christians, he does this in 1 Corinthians 8 as well. His perception of a weaker Christian and a stronger Christian is any Christian that lives in more liberty is a stronger Christian. And any Christian that feels the need to have traditions or to have rules and laws that they've imposed on themselves, they're the weaker Christian. So for Paul's perception, the more you live in liberty the stronger you are. So it isn't about stronger faith. It isn't about, oh, if I'm a stronger Christian, God would perform more miracles when I, when I ask him. No, what he's saying is, is some of us, and this is the example, he says, some of us say, I can eat whatever I want. And some of us say, I can only eat vegetables. Or in Corinthians 8, some say, I can eat that meat even though it's sacrificed to idols. And other ones say, I can't eat that meat. He's saying, well, the one who lives in the most liberty is the stronger Christian. And the one who lives in the least liberty is the weaker one. But he doesn't say they're the worse one. He just says they're weaker. And so that's the language here. Okay? So that's the other thing. How do you, we live and act in a family is we have to understand that we are different. We are Christians. We are disciples. But we are different. And that some of us will have convictions that are ours. And don't belong to anyone else. And some of us will have different convictions. And that's okay. Galatians 5.1, Paul says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. You see what I mean? 
we've, I've shared this, it is for freedom he set us free can be translated better as it is for liberty. It is the ability to be free he set us free. And that's, Paul is so vehement about this because he came from such a place of bondage to Mosaic law. From such a place, and he got such freedom, he said, anyone that takes that yoke of slavery back on again is a weaker Christian. So verse 2, one person has faith that he may eat all things, but one who is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So we all have different convictions. We have different personal beliefs, and our job in family is if I, in my opinion, stand in more liberty, I do not look down with contempt on someone who stands in less liberty. And the person who might have more restrictions on themselves is not to become smug and self-righteous and go, I'm better than you because I am restricting myself more. Because the one who observes the day, observes it for the Lord. I jumped to verse 6. Let me go back to verse 5. Let me just start verse 4. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person values one day over another. Another values every day the same. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. See, that's why we aren't there to judge. And that's the key, by the way, for your own personal convictions. You must be fully convinced. And if you are fully convinced, then you stand firm on that, and you do whatever your conviction is unto the Lord. The one who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and the one who eats does so with regard to the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and the one who does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat. And he gives thanks to God, for not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We are in a family. There is a father. He is all of our father. And he will interact with us differently. And it is not my place to judge you or tell you how he is dealing with you is better or worse. I am to trust that what you are doing, you are fully convinced in. And if you're not fully convinced, that's your issue. And God will deal with you, not me. And we're talking about disputable matters. We're talking about gray area. There's Ten Commandments. There's sin. That's another thing that Kristen said. He said, we're not soft on sin. We're just really big on repentance. Okay? We're not soft on sin. So trust me, it is our responsibility in a family to rebuke the brother or sister in sin. So I'm not saying you ignore sin. But disputable matters. Let me give you a really big one that was big when I was a kid. Probably big when you were in youth group too. Listening to secular music. I mean, I've done the whole bonfire at church, throw your records on the bonfire. I did that. And then I talked to the Lord about it. And I said, I don't really, I mean, I'm being told that it's wrong to listen to this secular music, but it's so good. Father, what should I do? 
And he said, did I tell you not to listen to it? And I said, no, my pastor did. He said, well, if I tell you not to listen to it, don't listen to it. And I said, oh, okay. And from that moment on, my personal conviction was the Lord will tell me when I'm allowed and when I'm not allowed and what I'm allowed. And I've had to walk that out. Prince is one of my favorite artists ever. He's a musical genius. I think he's amazing. I have every piece of music he's ever written that I can have my hands on. Love Prince. That man had some dirty songs, okay? And there are songs that Prince has that I cannot listen to. The Lord says, no. It's as simple as that. And I listen to the Lord. So I love Prince, and there's plenty of music of Prince's that I can listen to, but there's songs that I can't because the Lord convicts me and says, no, you can't listen to that. But I know people that say, I can't listen to any secular music. From my perspective, I'm the stronger Christian. I have more liberty. From my perspective. But I've also met and had interactions with Christians. From their perspective, I'm the weaker Christian, and they're the holier one. But I learned I'm not going to judge you because if you're fully convinced and you're doing under the Lord, guess what the Lord does? He accepts and he honors it. And if I'm fully convinced and I'm doing under the Lord, guess what he does? He accepts and honors it. And he deals with me when I'm being wishy-washy because it's the fully convinced part that's important. Because if I'm not fully convinced, the Lord doesn't honor it. If I'm not fully convinced, the Lord doesn't honor it. So in a family, there's a father, and the father tells us what is appropriate or inappropriate for us. And sometimes a brother or a sister, I don't know if you ever have siblings, sometimes a brother or a sister will come to you and say, what you're doing is wrong, or you can't do that. I deal that with my boys all the time. I will tell Ezra that he can't do something, and he will turn to Solomon and go, you can't do that. And I go, no, he can you can't. And he has to learn that distinction. And he, that's not fair. That's a new phrase of his. We've been working on fairness for a while now, teaching him, like, because at first I was just like, you don't know what fair is. Be quiet. And then I realized you should probably start teaching him what fairness is. And he's learning, but he's still, that's not fair. And it's like, it's not about fair. It's about you guys are two different people. And what he can do, you can't. And what you can do, he can't. And you don't get upset about each other. And who determines it? His parents. The family of God is the same way. The same way. And he says, to help us, he goes, so stop fighting over it. Because it's not our call. It's not our call. We like to fight over stuff like this. We like to split churches over stuff like this. We like to break relationships over stuff like this. Disputable matters. I was sharing, when I shared about my message on sin, I said, this might be a controversial message. You might not agree with my perspective on sin, and that's okay. Because what we agree on is sin was a problem that we couldn't solve. See, that's the indisputable matter. And so if we agree on that, we're good. You can throw away the rest of my message, and we're fine. But some people will go, no, I can't, I can't. I have to leave this church. Or, or I have to convince you that you're wrong. And if, and if you don't believe me, then I have to get more people to believe me 
And then next thing you know, you split in a church over a disputable matter. And that's, like, at least that's a big theological question. There's church splits over music. Verse 8, for if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. But as for you, somebody say you. But as for you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or as well, why do you regard your brother or sister with contempt? For we will all appear before the judgment of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, to me every knee will bow, and so every tongue will give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Let God do it. He's better at it than you are. He's better at it than I am. Let God do it. Therefore, let's not judge one another, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother or sister's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to the one who thinks something is unclean, to that person, it is unclean. That's why we have to be fully convinced of our convictions. Because if we aren't fully convinced, then we're sinning. You know, have you ever had somebody come to you for advice? I want to, is it right or wrong for me to do this thing? Uh, you know, it's a really good answer for you. Well, since you seem so wibbly wobbly, it's probably wrong. Because you need to be fully convinced. If you're not fully convinced, then it'll be wrong. It'll be sin for you. If you have to question, is this right or wrong? That question is the answer. Because even if it's, even if it would be right, if you're not fully convinced. So you have to, like, I, I do this all the time. Because you make decisions with people. You make decisions in relationships. You make decisions about, do I partner with this somebody? Do I, you know, pursue relationships? You have to make those decisions, and you have to, you have to check. Am I, do, you know, am I... Do I just not want to hang out with this person because it just right now it just I'm being, you know, it'd be a burden. And now I'm creating reasons. You know, I've had to challenge people, I've had to challenge myself, like, why aren't you doing that activity or that thing? Is it because you truly feel like you have better things to do and you're not supposed to? Or is it because there's a selfish reason there? And you're just creating all this stuff to try and excuse it. You know, justification just is us trying to convince ourselves that we won't be wrong. And a lot of times when we have to employ justification, we have to be careful because it's like most likely we're going to be wrong. <laughs> but this is, this, is, this is a crazy thing. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in it in of itself. That's a very big statement. That's a very scary statement. I'm st standing before you as a Christian leader going, that's a scary statement. I want to tell you something is unclean. I don't want somebody to come to me going, well, for me, it's not. Because then it's like, okay, well, how do I, I have to juggle you? And it's, you know, that's, this is adding conflict into our family. Because you might be able to do something and it's fine for you, but it's not fine for this person. But this person gets really upset about it. And there's really sensitive situations. There's really sensitive subject matter. 
I know people in this room who will not drink a drop of alcohol. And there's nothing wrong with that. I know people in this room who will drink a drop of alcohol. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that can be a struggle for someone. I was once told, remember when I, when I stepped into the freedom of weight, you know, find that you read the Bible for yourself and you go, the Bible doesn't say drinking is bad. The Bible doesn't say you, don't, you can't drink alcohol. The Bible regulates how you drink alcohol. Great, so I can have some alcohol, right? But I also speak, and I was told by somebody, yes, you have that freedom, but you shouldn't share that publicly. And I said, why? And they said, because people deal with alcoholism. Or people have dealt with abuse by an alcoholic, so they choose not to drink. It's a very touchy subject. And you could offend somebody. Let me tell you, in my immaturity, I said, I don't care if I offend somebody. That's their problem. The Bible clearly is clear on this. It's not, it's not gray. The Bible is clear on this. It's not wrong. So I should be able to go, I'm, I'm okay to drink, and I should talk about drinking. and I should be able to do that. People should enjoy this freedom. I'm more mature, and I'm like, no, that's actually, that's not helpful. It's not beneficial. And in fact, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to not cause a stumbling block or an obstacle in my brother or sister's way. Now, it takes discernment, and it takes Holy Spirit to figure out where that line is and, and all that. And we all make mistakes, and we'll cross it, and we won't. But I should want to respect and love my brothers and sisters in Christ. So I would want to be mindful of if my liberty might cause an offense, then I will withhold my liberty. It's not that I don't drink, right? If I'm around somebody that, but if I'm around somebody that doesn't or thinks it's wrong, I won't drink in front of them. I won't talk about it. I won't try and convince them, you know, it's okay to drink. I won't feel threatened because sometimes we do that. We have our conviction, but then we feel threatened. When somebody else says it's wrong, we feel like we have to defend it. See, that's where I was for the longest time. I had this immature reaction. If someone challenged my belief, I had to convince them they were wrong and I was right. That's called fighting over disputable matters. Paul in Romans 14 says, be fully convinced of yourself and don't worry what other people say. That's another reason why you're fully convinced, because somebody can go, well, you really shouldn't listen to secular music. And you can go, that's your opinion. See, I learned there's a really wonderful, people ask me my opinion and they want to hear it. And I learned a really wonderful phrase, for me, and I share my opinion, for me. You know, I've had conversations and, and I've had people, you know, oh, I'd like to partner with your church or I'd like to do this. Or, or I even shared, you know, you know, I know a church that's, selling a building, and I have an opinion on that. Is it okay for them to sell that building? Should they have given it away? Right? I have an opinion on that, but I'm not judging them about that. When I talk about it, I go, for me, I wouldn't be able to sell that building because I didn't, I was given the building. So for me, if I was in that situation, I would give the building away. But if that church has a different conviction, then they will do it as unto the Lord. And that's theirs. For me. As people ask me my opinion about stuff, I like to respond, well, for me. 
because I get to share my opinion, but I don't get to force it on you. And you have to be careful because especially when we're in this situation where there are weaker Christians, stronger Christians, more mature Christians, right? You have to be careful because you will get a Christian coming to you going, I can see there's wisdom. I can see that you've been in this walk for a while. I want you to, to guide me. I want you to mentor me. And sometimes they fall in that trap of, I want you to be Jesus for me. And we have to be careful of that. And so it's always good to go, my opinion is. Because your opinion could be something different. And it also gives someone grace to take your opinion, but then change their mind later. Because you're not going, the Lord said. You're saying, I believe. Now, there's things that the Lord said. And you say those confidently. Verse 16. For if because of food, your brother and sister is hurt, you are no longer walking in accordance with love. Do not destroy with your choice of food that person for whom Christ died. You see, we're a family. We have our own personal convictions. The Lord deals with it with us. We do it as unto the Lord. And when we are with each other and there's friction and we're rubbing elbows, the person with the greater liberty is to restrict themselves out of love for their brother and sister. Because I do not want to destroy somebody because I'm demanding they honor or I get the privilege of walking out my liberty in front of them. The more liberty you have, the more of an obligation you have to restrict yourself around those that cannot share it. We don't like to do that, though. We somehow think, no, the more liberty I have, the more liberty I have to act however I want. see. The enemy didn't want you to hear that. <laughs> Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. We talked about that earlier. That's the fully convinced. Your conviction is your conviction. Do not let somebody tell you it's wrong if you are fully convinced in it. Or actually, let them tell you it's wrong, but then go, okay, thank you, and move on. Don't get threatened. Don't worry about it. Don't stress about it. It's your conviction, and you're doing it unto, not unto that person. For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not about our personal convictions. God uses our personal convictions to make us better so that we become better reflections of him, so that we become better witnesses, that we become better light, better salt, so that the family of God grows. So he'll use a personal conviction. And by the way, it'll shift and change. Because God always moves us if we let him, if we submit to him, if we give him our life, he is always moving us to greater liberty. Always. He doesn't let a weaker Christian stay a weaker Christian. That's another reason why we don't judge and we relax, and we let the Lord do it. Because I know when I'm around somebody that might be a weaker Christian and have to put more restrictions on themselves, it's because God is taking them on a journey of healing and wholeness, and eventually they'll step into a greater place of liberty for the most part. Because tr trust me, when you were first saved, right, sometimes you had to leave friends. When you were first saved, sometimes you had to leave situations. Because even though you just got saved, you weren't strong enough 
to stay in the situation or you weren't strong enough to stay connected to those people. So there's no harm in it because God is protecting you. He's going to say, no, for you, you cannot be in that situation. For you, you need to break off that relationship. That's how he moves. And there is a point where you will get into wholeness and one day he might go, you can go back there now. You can reconnect with them now. Because that's how God works. Through righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For the one who serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and approved by other people. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the person who eats and causes offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother or sister stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Have as your own conviction before God. Happy is the one who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But the one who doubts is condemned. If he eats because if he eats because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Whatever is not from faith is sin. Whatever is not from faith is sin. So we're a family of God, and we have a father. So how do we act like a family? We trust our father with our brothers and sisters. That's one of the hardest things to do. I will trust God in you. I will trust God's working it out for you. I will come and support and love, but I will not try and change you because I will trust God. I won't have arguments. I won't have fights. We can talk about it. We can discuss. I love discussing different opinions. Love it. But never to the point where it's a fight. Never to the point where it breaks relationship. Never to a point where I turn off my love for my brother or sister. And as a mature Christian, and we will all be in this situation at some point in our walk, as a mature Christian, I withhold my liberty around those that it might cause them offense or to stumble. And I do it with love and I do it gratefully. And I don't do it resentfully. And if we're the weaker Christian, we understand that the convictions we have don't make us any more holy or any more special than the Christian that doesn't. Amen? Amen. So, Father, thank you so much that you are guiding us on this journey of healing and of wholeness, all for your purpose, all for your will, that we would be light, we would be salt, and we would be love in this world. And I just thank you right now, and I just pray that you would continue to do that, and we would continue to lay ourselves down on the altar as a living sacrifice, that you would have your way, you would have your will in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.